You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Kulreet Chaudhry. She is a neurologist, a neuroscientist, and an internationally recognized expert in the ancient practice of Ayurvedic medicine. She earned her medical degree at Loma Linda University School of Medicine, completed her internship at UCLA and neurology residency at University of California, San Diego. Chaudhry is the author of The Prime and Sound Medicine. She's a pioneer in the field of integrative medicine, is a highly sought after speaker, researcher, and advisor for healthy directions. Now, she says depression isn't just a mind game, but very much a gut game too. And new research is validating what ancient medicine has been focused on for centuries. And we are going to get into that today. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Erin. Pleasure to be here. Yes, I am so excited. So there are two new studies published in the journal Nature Communications that found a link between several types of bacteria in the gut and depressive symptoms. So can you break that down for our listeners? Yes. And, you know, um, so the funny thing about research is when you start studying something, you'll find that it is true, right? (laughs) It is true. (laughs) So for so many decades, when I would try to explain to people that the gut and the brain are one functional unit, and especially when I was explaining this to my medical colleagues, um, they'd go, what? No, that doesn't make any sense. The brain is up here. The gut is down there. And I said, but I see this day in and day out with my patients that when we address these two systems together... Um, that the whole body heals, but specifically that the mind and the nervous system heals when you address um, gut health. And so I knew this to be true. And I knew that the gut microbiome was playing a huge role in it, but I still didn't have, you know, the language. I didn't have the vocabulary to explain the details of it. In other words, you know, like if, if somebody went outside and said, wow, I know the sun is bright, right? Like I experienced the sun as being very bright. And then somebody says, okay, but how is the sun bright? That it's not until you actually study kind of, well, how does the sun create heat um, that you might be able to explain to somebody in a scientific, you know, uh, field of why they should also believe you that the sun is bright, even though they could, of course, just go outside. And so when this research started coming out, that we can even map out certain strains of bacteria and study them and see that they have a positive impact on mood. That it wasn't until then that we started making the connection that certain bacteria, and, and by the way, Erin, I think this is only part of the answer because this mm-hmm. is just a part that we're studying. Yeah. I think we're going to study more that in part, they create certain neurotransmitters that our brain needs to feel healthy, um, happy, have a stable mood, and that our our gut is actually an extension of the of the storage. It's it's a warehouse of neurotransmitters. And for people who don't understand um, what neurotransmitters are, it's just the it's the language of the brain. That's how one brain cell communicates to another brain cell is through these neurotransmitters. And so we're finding out that a lot of them are actually made in the gut and we could even 
give people specific strains that seem to be really, really good at making certain shifts in brain chemistry, which then lead to better mood. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. And, and, you know, you mentioned something and I think that this is interesting. I know I'm kind of a research nerd myself. And so I'm seeing a lot of research articles from really, I want to say like 2015, 2016 on is where a lot of this like specific strain on specific neurotransmitters research has been done. What do you, what do you see coming from that? How is it shifting in Mm. your opinion and where are we going to see it go from here? Cause you mentioned it's only part of, of yeah. So there was reason, you know, every step we take is, is a step that we take on the achievements of past generations. So there were researchers from previous generations. And when I was first writing the prime I was looking at these uh, much older research studies. Mm. Um, and so there were research from decades ago, but they were just so ahead of their time. So the research was there. It's just, it wasn't being taken very seriously. It wasn't being acknowledged. And then what happens, and you'll see this over and over in different areas of life is we hit critical mass in terms of enough people are thinking it. And then we'll suddenly have a evolutionary shift in how we think about something. And, you know, we see this with um, nature all the time. And you may have heard about kind of like the hundred monkey story that, you know, after a certain number of monkeys um, located on an isolated island, learn how to use a certain tool that monkeys on other islands, so they have no physical contact, they're also using the same types of tools. And human beings, you know, share in this um, kind of information, these information waves. Mm -hmm. And so it was like enough people, and I really honor the true pioneers in this, um, in our, our, our true modern pioneers, of course, the true pioneers were thousands and thousands of years ago, but our two modern pioneers who were doing this research 50, 60 years ago, and, and we're looking at the connection, particularly between brain health, and there was just no audience for it. Yeah. And then it's like the hundredth monkey thought it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was, um, it, we finally hit an intellectual critical mass to shift consciousness. Mm. And so what I think we're, we're going to see going forward is right now, we're still looking at gut flora in terms of the physical body, right? Like we're looking at it as um, it's an important aspect of of what we eat. Of course it is. It's an important aspect of um, the way that we are thinking. Of course it is. But I think we're going to eventually, as we dive into the science of consciousness, which I, that's still a really big black box for people of what what the heck is consciousness? I think what we're going to start to notice is that we can create massive shifts in our gut flora when we have shifts of consciousness, essentially having shifts of self-awareness when we put a mirror up to ourselves and we have sudden huge deep insights to where it expands our understanding of us as a human being and actually opens our capacity to connect to other people, I think we're going to see sudden increases in like uh, biodiversity in our gut flora. Mm. I think that will be kind of the next type of shifts. And I think 
you know, we'll also start to see how vibrational medicine, which may sound like really kind of like, well, again, what the heck is vibrational medicine? But, you know, using things like sound, using things mm -hmm. like light therapy, how they also have these types of tsunami effects in terms of our gut flora. And I certainly see it with my patients when we expose them to certain sounds, um, they'll have like immediate massive die-off reactions from parasitic wow. organisms. And they don't have they don't have a conceptual basis for understanding their experience, meaning they go, you, you, you expose me to the sound. I then um, had diarrhea and I saw stuff coming out of my stool that, you know, like if, if I would have taken maybe a medication, I would have expected to see things dying off. But why, when I got exposed to sound, did I have this reaction? I think we're going to see more and more of that as we start understanding the science behind consciousness and realizing that we're, we're as much energy as we are physical body. And honestly, we're more energy than we are physical body. I love that you went there. That's so exciting. I think that that is, I have so many questions, so I'm going to try to keep my brain in a straight line. But um, one, <laughs> one thought I have is, you know, cause I often say our thoughts are chemical messengers to the rest Absolutely. of our body, you know, and that whole gut yeah. brain connection, it's a two-way highway. We know that our gut bacteria Absolutely. impacts our brain, but can you break down how a little bit deeper on that? How is our, our brain, how are our thoughts impacting our gut flora? Because that sounds kind of, kind of crazy, kind of woo woo, right? It, it does as much as it sounded woo woo before that our gut was impacting our brain. And so now we've just got to go kind of deeper. And remember, things are only woo woo when our own intellect hasn't matured into having an understanding of ourselves that is more holistic. That's all that's the only time where it's woo woo is just we haven't matured into that. And that's okay. You know, we don't expect more out of a five-year-old than what they can offer. And we don't expect more out of a 12-year-old than we can offer. And so we're also, you know, maturing as a civilization and as an individual. So it's okay. But I, I'm going to, so Aaron, I'm going to take it further because you're kind of inspiring me today. Um, Let's just look a moment at the body really differently and say, what if the body was predominantly a projection of the mind? Okay, now that doesn't mean that the body can't impact the mind. Of course it is. We just talked about that. There is this two-way um, communication, but what if we go even deeper into, again, an understanding of human consciousness and say that what if the body was a complete map of our mind, the parts that we're conscious of, which, you know, that's about 5%, but even more importantly, the parts that we're unconscious of, which is about 95%. Meaning that the things that you are chronically thinking that you don't even know that you are thinking is projected into your body. And the way that it communicates this is partly, again, through the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve has gotten a lot of attention just because we can study it, but it's more than that. That what if the brain sends out electromagnetic field messages? So what if it's sending these electromagnetic messages so that it's sending it to every single cell in the body. And, you know, I'm just using electromagnetic fields because I think that's somewhat understandable. We, you know, for anybody who's ever had an EKG or an EEG, you can say, oh, okay, the brain was making electromagnetic imprints. And that's how I got the results of this EEG or insane for the EKG. But let's just say that, okay, so the body communicates with every single cell 
through these fields, one of them being an electromagnetic field. So that every time you're thinking a thought, even when you don't know you're thinking a thought, which is 95% of your thoughts, you don't know that you're thinking them. It's communicating a message to every single cell in your body. Now, from that perspective, from that understanding, would it make sense how the brain impacts the gut, but also how it's impacting every single cell in your body? Now, given that that black box, that 95% black box, that might take a really long time to sort all that out and clear all that out, isn't it beautiful that we can also use the body to clear out certain messages that may be hidden in the brain? And that's why I said, don't, don't do this the hard way. Like, don't, don't try to just use the mind to try to clear this stuff, like use, use the body. And that's why for me, the gut brain connection Um, And, you know, this isn't something I came up with. This is what I studied in Ayurveda, but the gut brain connection is the most significant foundation for health in your entire body because it dictates everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And you mentioned Ayurveda and I do want to kind of touch on that because we were talking before we started recording about this concept of chronological snobbery I love and it. this whole idea that where we are right now at this time, we think that we know best. We've got the science, we've got the studies, we've got all of it, yeah. but we also have centuries of knowledge and studies, really human studies and true in-depth studies about how the body works and how the gut brain yeah. connection is And how does Ayurveda, in your experience, how does that support that? And where does Ayurveda come from? So let's start with some of the big questions. Um, Ayurveda is a, one of the most ancient medical traditions from India. Um, But I, you know, in looking at the global traditions, this wasn't something that was only in India. This Mm. is how we lived as human beings at one point. Mm. For whatever reasons, it has stayed intact in India for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. I don't know why it did, but it did. Um, But when you go into some of the ancient traditions in Latin America, even some of the ancient traditions in Russia, it's not really different. They're using different plants. They're using things that are native to, to that geography. But the fundamental concepts are the same. So Ayurveda is an intact ancient medical system that I'm very convinced was once just how human beings lived on this planet. It's how they lived in harmony with this planet, which we're unfortunately no longer in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a system of understanding the human body, the human mind, our connection to each other. Um, Ayurveda is deeply connected to community and our connection to nature. Um, And so now when people, you know, approach it, they're oftentimes just trying to figure out the body part because we've, we've just devastated our environment so much that majority of people are struggling. We're just so out of balance with the harmony of nature. And so oftentimes they'll approach it like, okay, I'm really sick. Um, My body's out of whack or um, I'm struggling. I'm struggling all the time. And I don't know why I, my mental health is deteriorating. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And so those are oftentimes the reasons that people, you know, come to Ayurveda, but this was just knowledge that we at one point knew this is, this was like a, it's a blueprint for how to be human and not just in general terms, but uniquely, like how does Aaron learn to be Aaron? You know, how does Kulreet learn to live in balance with herself? And in terms of this chronological snobbery, you know, it's, 
being a mom has been so helpful because teenagers have that chronological snob. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> uh -huh. they think what they know is the best that people older than them um, don't have anything to offer. And of course, you know, life teaches you over time that that's not true. And you make enough mistakes and you fall down enough that you start reaching for wisdom because you're like, wait a minute, I don't have to reinvent the wheel.
So if you want to take ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com spark. That's athleticgreens.com spark. Check it out. It is way more than just greens, you guys. So Dr. Chaudhry, getting back to the topic of the gut-brain connection, what would you say are some ways that we can support the gut-brain connection? You know, there's so many people now, I mean, this is Mental Health Awareness Month, and people are struggling with their mental health, maybe more so than ever before. So what are your tips for starting off? Absolutely. So when when I was asked to write my book, The Prime, I had to really look at like what are what's the foundations, what are the cornerstones of this approach? And you know, I translated that into the work that I do with healthy directions of what what could I give to just about every American? Because Ayurveda is highly, highly individualized, meaning it really mm-hmm. honors your unique needs. But what has become so common in our narrative in the modern world? that would benefit everybody, right? And so this is what I think would benefit everybody due to our modern narrative. So, you know, hopefully in 200, 300 years, this will no longer be needed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, certainly um, when we look back like a thousand years ago, this wasn't necessary because it was a really different time in history. But for us right now, I have a few go-tos. So first on the list is an herb called trifla, um, mm. which I'm constantly talking about. And I just love. And that's a new um, one for me. I have not heard of that one. You're before. kidding. Oh, yes. You're I kidding. Know. Isn't that crazy? I know. That is crazy. That's like one of the first things, you yeah. know, it was what was one of the first herbs I was started on when I was suffering from migraine headaches as a neurologist okay. and, and had to turn back to Ayurveda to help. Um, And to me, this is just, it's an amazing herb. And there's no one herb that's going to cure everything. But this was like one of those steps where it was like, wow, did this do like a lot? You know, it really, really did a lot. Um, It did a lot more than I was ever expecting. Again, going back to this gut brain connection. And it's, it's made out of three berries. And, you know, these berries individually are used to treat a host of different issues in the body. But when you bring them together, they are so healing for the gut. And of course, they're opening up, you know, detoxification channels throughout the body. So it's not that it's just on the gut, but they're so healing for the gut um, that this is kind of my first things that I start like all of my patients on because we've got to prep that gut for any kind of of change that we Mm -hmm. want in the body um, and especially the mind. And there's two herbs that I now use routinely. And of course, they've been used quite a bit in Ayurveda, but I I almost feel like they're a survival mechanism for modern life. Um, And the first one is ashwagandha, which I think most people have heard about. Um, It's an adaptogen. And again, it's a response to the narrative of our modern lives. We're just under so much stress. Um, in in surmountable stress sometimes for many people, um, just getting up is, you know, is, is a huge chore just because of how much stress they have to face. It's never been like this. I mean, this is just astronomical what we're going through. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, you know, we need something just to help balance our our response to this much stress. The way that we're living hasn't changed. We've kind of um, structured it now, right? And so 
I look at ashwagandha as kind of a rescue from just the day-to-day grind. And then another herb that goes along with that is Brahmi. And I don't know if you've heard of this one or not, Erin. That was um, new as well. Okay. So Brahmi is also amazing. Um, it works in combination with ashwagandha. They're oftentimes put together in Ayurvedic formulas for the mind. And Brahmi just helps to, what is the right way to describe it? It helps to optimize brain function. Like, so in whichever way you need, it helps to bring your brain capacity like up a notch. But what I really love about it is, um, from my experience, I would say about 95% of people um, that I work with are suffering from some kind of food addiction, even if it's not severe, it's some kind of food addiction. It's because our our foods have been made to become addictive. So, you know, like you don't have to feel guilty about it. When you're fed something that's supposed to have a certain outcome, it will have that outcome. That's just Mm -hmm. biochemistry. But Brahmi, we use in Ayurveda for a lot of neurological conditions, um, but it also is used for addictions. Mm -hmm. And so it really helps to lessen and to break those cycles of food addictions, of course, it helps with other addictions, but food addictions are the most common addictions on the planet, in my opinion. Um, and so I love the combination of the ashwagandha reducing the stress response and the Brahmi really interfering yeah. with the pleasure response that people get from food addictions. And then coupling that with, you know, the prime tea, which is, again, it's not something that I came up with. It's been in Ayurveda for, you know, such a long time. But it's just a combination of cumin, coriander, and fennel, mm. half a teaspoon of each. You boil that for five to 10 minutes, depending on how strong you want it, um, in about four to five cups of water. Strain out the seeds, drink it throughout the day. It's just another way to slowly begin to heal your gut. Mm. And so those are like my my go-tos of like, okay, anybody that I'm starting off, I, I I'm, it's very, very rare that I find somebody where I go, oh, this won't be the right combination for you most of the time, this is the right combination. And then the other part of it, which you can't leave out is, you know, your meditation practice. Mm -hmm. But I find um, that many people don't even feel like they're ready to meditate until Mm -hmm. we get this brain gut connection kind of functioning better. They can't sit still even for five minutes. So I just honor that and say, all right, let's work on the biochemistry first. And then let's bring in the secret weapon right? Because meditation, of course, then brings everything into balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and a complaint that I hear a lot from people is, well, my brain is just so scattered. How can I, I can't sit still. I don't know how to sit still. And, and again, you know, like we talk about the food that's been, you know, engineered to be addictive yeah. to us. We have our apps that are engineered to be addictive, our social yes. media, our phones. It's like the constant notifications. And so that has primed our brain for this, like hyper vigilant alert cannot yes. shut it off. So what do you say when, when people say that? Well, I get that really often, which is why I start with the program that I just outlined because it, it, you know, the, the, and the Brahmi ashwagandha combination in particular, it really starts to rewire your brain. And it's interesting because it was brought to my attention recently that there was um, this message going on about on TikTok of people feeling numb after starting ashwagandha. And I said, it's so interesting to me that we have gotten so accustomed to being so hypervigilant that when the hypervigilance comes down, that we don't actually know what calm feels like. We don't know what to do (laughs) with it. Right. We no longer know. And part of, part of that issue is just people don't know 
that, okay, now when your brain kind of settles down, you can introduce joy through the use Mm -hmm. of like meditation, but that we're so wired for drama highs and lows and all of that, that we don't actually recognize what it feels like to just be at peace. We think there's something wrong because we're accustomed to being jittery all the time. So I first just, you know, I would love to start everybody on meditation first, because I think it's so potent, but you do have to kind of detangle the biochemistry of the modern world first. And so I start with this program and the other big thing, though, is Aaron, is people think that medit- uh, unsuccessful meditation is one where you had a lot of thoughts. And I'm like, no, that's an extremely successful meditation. Mm, it's extremely good. successful because meditation is just a shower for your brain. Mm-hmm. And those thoughts are just like brain dirt coming up. And so you don't need a shower when you're clean. You know, if you've already had a shower, you're not like, oh, I need to take another shower. But when our brains are dirty, when they're filled with all those thoughts, that's when you need the shower. And so you go into meditation and that that might be the only thing you have are a bunch of thoughts. Fantastic. Your meditation did the work that it was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then you'll notice out in activity that you're not as hypervigilant, that you're a little more relaxed, that you weren't reaching, you know, for that candy bar when you got stressed out. Those are the signs of a successful meditation. And I've been meditating now coming on 40 years and I still have those chaotic meditations and that's totally okay. I'm like, oh, thank God it's finally coming out. I have meditations where I feel like my heart is going to burst open from pain because I'm releasing some really massive emotional stress. Another successful meditation You know, sometimes the anxiety is so strong that I'm going to crawl out of my skin. Another successful meditation. Mm -hmm. So we've got to redefine what we think is successful and not in terms of meditation. That meditation is just a bath for for getting your brain dirt out. I like that so much. That's so helpful. That's a bumper sticker. It really should be like, it should be a whole tagline. Maybe I'll just call the episode that. No, I don't know. I don't know if anybody would listen, but uh, starting with just brain dirt. Um, But, but it's true. I mean, I think that that's a really, that's, and it's a very self-compassionate way to phrase it. And, and that's what we want. And with that, I wanted to ask about mantras. Where do mantras play a role in this whole brain, gut, brain, body connection? So mantra meditation is a form of meditation. You know, sometimes people go, what about breath meditation? I said, you have to remember, because I come more from that yogic um, background, that there were things that you did to prepare for meditation, and then there was meditation. And so the preparation for meditation would be things like yoga, breath work. And that doesn't mean that those aren't meditative. Um, It's just that those are all preparing for the mind and body to sync up in a very particular way Mm -hmm. so that when you sink in, when you sit in silence, you go in fairly quickly, meaning a lot of that brain dirt I was talking about kind of gets shed Mm -hmm. by doing the yoga asanas, right? Which are the the movements by doing the yoga poses that so many of us Mm -hmm. consider, you know, to be yoga. When we talk about yoga, most people think about those postures. They start to move those out of the body. And then you start with the breath work and that starts to to sync up the brain, the body in a particular way. Now, that doesn't mean that these aren't meditative practices. They are. But when you do them before you do a mantra meditation, and some people can do a silent meditation. To me, silent meditation is an extraordinarily advanced form of meditation. Mm -hmm. 
it is something that I was never able to access. I am still not able to access after 40 years of meditating. I cannot close my eyes and just sink into silence. I need that mantra meditation. I need that sound to take me into that silent space. Then eventually I sync up with it and I go, okay, now I'm here. Um, so mantra meditation is just simply they're primordial sounds, meaning nobody has a trademark on them. You can't make them up because they came from nature. They're vibratory codes from nature. You can say that they're kind of the language of life. It's how life was created, was using these vibratory codes. But because they're the way that life was created, when we repeat them silently or out loud, we are reconnecting. It's like we get pulled back into that very vibration that was the first impulse of life. So it's like a bridge back to who we were from at the very beginning. So it's just vibratory sounds that have no meaning. They have no intrinsic meaning to them. And they pull you back to who you really are using sound. For me, hands down, the easiest way to meditate. I cannot meditate without a mantra but the mantra does eventually get me to the place where I don't need it, meaning, oh, I'm now there. Yeah, that's really helpful because I think that that, and it's helpful for people to hear from you what works for you and how, and yeah. you've been doing this for a really long time because this is new for many people. And we are so, you know, hooked on our schedules and our go, go, go and our go and do and be more and do more. And it's, it's hard to understand that maybe doing that all the time is, is harmful for us. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. And you know, um, may I just say one thing, Erin, mm -hmm. before I speak to that, it's not only harmful, it wears down the system and just like a car that's been overrun, it gets inefficient. And so our yeah. body and mind gets that way. But here's the big secret. And I think people are trying to explain this, but it's so hard for us to understand because we're such a, a culture of achievers. By the way, I'm totally guilty of this. I don't want to speak as though I'm outside <laughs> of this culture. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a type A physician. I'm a neurologist. My gosh, you don't get any more in your head than, mm -hmm. you know, neurologists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but here's the big secret. And even um, it's taken me a while, even with the meditation practice to really, really take this seriously um, because our culture has such a strong, you know, program for achieve, achieve, achieve. When you connect to that inner silence, the achievement spontaneously comes out of that. That does not mean you don't do anything. I want to make that really clear. It does not mean that I sit in a quiet space every morning and I do nothing that, you know, I, I just sit there and everything happens for me. But what it does mean is that when I first connect to that silent space, the path to what it is that I'm supposed to achieve on behalf of myself, on behalf of my family, on behalf of my society, that's linked to my highest purpose, the highest purpose that I have access to, because that's always changing, right? As our consciousness shifts, new paths open, mm -hmm. that that path becomes much more clear and much more unobstructed. It becomes easier to follow that path. And so I'm expending less and less energy to do the things that bring me the greatest amount of joy. And it used to drive me nuts, Erin, when people would say, don't do, just be. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> because I've got a to-do list that I have to get through. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a physician. And if I sit around and just be, 
my life is going to fall apart. And what that means is that when we connect to that silent part of ourselves, there's a higher intelligence, which is not always logical, that will put you on the most efficient path to get everything done with you. It's like a partnership. It's a partnership between you, you know, Aaron, in that in, in your physical body who has all of these roles to play, but also that part of you that is Aaron that is um, linked to a level of intelligence that understands how everything is playing out. Mm -hmm. And when you guys partner together, things actually work out a lot better and it's more joyful and it's healthier. And you will actually, and this is what surprises people um, from a material standpoint, you can accomplish more, but even doing, even having accomplished less materially, if that, if, if you're already there, even having accomplished less, you find more joy than you would have had being made more. Does that make sense? Yeah, like the joy is yeah. there first. The joy is just present and then everything else kind of falls into place with it. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. something you're seeking. It's just present first. Not that it's present 24 hours a day. Oh my gosh, no. You know, <laughs> right. no. There's a whole lot of emotions, but that is always with you. And from that place, everything else in your life can fall into order. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And that leads to one of my favorite questions to ask, which is, you know, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could yeah. give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would that yeah. be? Um, no matter what you do, whether it's the herbs, the tea, mantra meditation or something else, do it with um, self-compassion because anything that you do with self-judgment and rigidity is not going to work. <laughs> It really doesn't, but anything that you approach by just saying, I'm, I'm imperfect, um, as are we all, um, that I'm struggling right now, as are we all, that my life is messy, as are all of our lives, and that I'm going to do the best I can, and I honor that. If you could just start with that, and then fill in the blank, whatever it is that you want to do. But if you can start with that, of just going, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can, and that's, that's enough. Whatever you're going to do is going to work so much, so much more. And then those thoughts are going to send signals to our yeah, gut. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And that creates a ripple effect in the body. It does. It's a ripple. It's a compassion ripple. And with that, what, what really happens there is your own healing mechanisms start to ramp up. It's not really what you're doing, mm. but when you start to show yourself compassion, just like when a physician shows a patient compassion, they start healing just because of the compassion of the physician. When you show yourself compassion, your body relaxes and it starts healing because it feels safe. Safety breeds wellness. That's so good. Yeah. And I know so many people are struggling because they're trying to fix their body or make it fit into what how they want it to be. And, and that is just perpetuating the cycle of negativity yes. and unhealth. Yeah. So switching to that compassion that you're talking about, yeah. it, it impacts things even on a cellular level. Absolutely. Just compassion first, then whatever else you want to do. And your compassion is going to be imperfect. My gosh, that's okay right. too. <laughs> right. <That's> so true. <laughs> You're going to be compassionate one minute then beating yourself. Oh, I forgot to do this. It's, and that's also, it's, it's still okay. It's the messy, it's the messy version of you. That's mm -hmm. awesome. The messy version of you is good enough. Yeah, that's good. I know. I know so many people need to hear that right now. So where can people learn more about what you do and follow you and all of that? Absolutely. So I'm, um, 
I am on Facebook and it's just my name. I believe it's just Dr. Colreet Chaudhry. But I have a webpage, Dr. K. Chaudhry, and the last name is spelled C-H-A-U-D-H-A-R-Y.com. And that will give people access to a lot of the articles that I've written on Ayurveda. Um, I have some short videos on meditation. I'll be releasing a longer series of videos on a free course on meditation um, later on. So that's a good resource for all of my stuff. Great. Yes, I know. I definitely would love to know more about the sound vibrations, you know, all of that and how that impacts the body that you mentioned at the beginning. I mean, I could go, I could ask you a thousand more questions, but I just appreciate the time <laughs> that you've taken to be on the show today. Thanks, Erin. Thanks for your authentic questions. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.